Welcome to Holback Stage Live on WBSL Radio. The Holback Stage was founded in 1973 and is North Alabama's oldest continuously operating community theater. We are your local live theater and are happy to bring you content not available anywhere else. Radio plays, vocal performances, interviews, readings, comedy, and drama, all supported by our generous sponsors and people like you. Check our show description for links to all of our social platforms. Follow us for upcoming events and announcements and to learn how you can be part of our mission to provide our community and surrounding areas with a positive outlet for the performing arts. Additional information can be found at holebackstage.com. Hey everybody, this is Denton. I wanted to take a second and thank you for your support and your interest in this project and to give you a quick rundown of this episode. I sat down at the Holback stage with uh, Johnny Brewer, who is the creator and director of the Black Tie series, which is a musical review series including shows like Black Tie Broadway, Black Tie America, and Black Tie Christmas. Throughout our conversation, we cover early versions of similar ideas that then evolved into the Black Tie series, and Johnny talks about his creative process, his vision for each version of the show, and what plans he has to further develop the series in the future. So be sure to follow all of our socials for updates, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and enable notifications uh, so you can see each new episode that comes in. Also, I wanted to point out that uh, our bumper music at the beginning and ending of the episode is um, Sharp Dressed Man by ZZ Top, uh, for obvious reasons. And um, hope you enjoy. Thanks. All right. So, thanks, Johnny, for coming and doing this first uh, inaugural podcast episode. Uh, for the whole backstage theater, and I'm happy to be talking to you about Black Tie, the whole series, every show Tie. you've done, which yeah. includes what Broadway, America, and Christmas. Christmas, yeah, right. And there's a lot of other folks that want me to do like Black Tie Appalachia and Black Tie Gospel and oh, things like that. Fun. So, you know, that could be in the works later on. Good. What kind of music would would that all include? So I have the surface level. Like you do a little bit of country or bluegrass or. Yes. That or could. That, it, yes. Let's just answer it that way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, black tie country, you know, the, uh, I think the black tie Appalachia, you know, is, uh, is one that several people have asked me about and it, it would include, you know, bluegrass and, mm-hmm. uh, Appalachian music and, uh, homespun stuff like that. Nice. So the, the Black Tie series as a whole, it, within this theater, we're sitting right now in the whole backstage theater in Gunnersville, and you've done all three iterations in this theater? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. And some more than once? Some, well, just the Black Tie Christmas. Okay. Now, other things that led up to the Black Tie uh, productions, uh, we've done more than once. 
And some of those, you know, I think you're familiar with because you participated in a couple were, you know, the Fabulous 50s mm-hmm. uh, series, uh, you know, the USO series, which basically uh, was a patriotic and led up into, you know, what, what I deem as black tie America. And then we've done uh, a show that originated as a choral kind of show choir ensemble was something called I Love Christmas back in the uh, 1990s. So it's kind of evolved into this black tie uh, series, black tie productions. So where did black tie come from? Was it something that that hit you that you just had to organize and, and get out to people or was it a process over time from different forms or different uh, influences or well i've always loved the idea of a musical review and starting back in 1981 uh, i became the music director of what was known as the whole backstage uh, holiday show and we entire we titled it uh, the musical review of and whatever year, you know, 1981, 1982. And we had them mostly in the early 80s, and we'd skip a few years, and it was always around Christmas. That, that's the time that we could get everybody uh, uh, involved, uh, people, college students that were away at school, people had some time where they were coming back from, um, uh, coming back to visit family in Gunnersville. And it... Uh, it evolved out of that. We'd skip a few years, and I think the last review of that kind was in 1989. Uh, beginning in 1990, I developed an hour-long, it was really kind of short, uh, Christmas review based on a piece that I used when I taught, um, excuse me, when I taught high school choir, and it was called I Love Christmas by Ed Legisky. Now, uh, this particular piece was uh, a choir piece, but it had a variety of Christmas music. It had like 25, uh, 26 Christmas songs, and they were all short versions. Uh, it, you know, it had Haul Out the Holly and uh, Holly Jolly Christmas and things like that. Uh, and this would be the beginning, I think, of the creation of the musical review format that I would later develop into the Black Tie series. Okay, so that... Uh the musical review of the years mm-hmm. went about 10 years? Went about 10 years on and off during that 10 in this, year. In this building? In this building. And what, what it really was, it was greatest show tunes of the whole backstage during that time. It was, it was just kind of like um, Black Tie Broadway, but it was, we had one day of rehearsal. <laughs> And uh, we would rehearse on that Saturday morning. Whose idea was that? <laughs> well, we couldn't get everybody. That that was the that was the thing. Yeah. We couldn't get everybody until that one day. Okay. And, and we actually had an orchestra uh, back then. I directed the nice. orchestras. Local and people. Local people. You know, we didn't. We had maybe one string player, if you want to call that an orchestra. But for the most part, it was you know um, people that had played in our orchestras in the past. And uh, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And I arranged the music. And eventually we would sing a Christmas song with the audience at the end. But it basically it was um, Edwin Weaver, come out and sing a song. <laughs> Jan Price, come out and sing a song. You know, it was just walk out to the center and sing a song. Yeah. It wasn't anything as involved as in Black Tie Broadway. 
Oh, that's that's great. That's <laughs> I, I would love to see something like that or, or be in something like that if, if uh, that ever came back to this building. That sounds like a good community event and a season. You know, you, it could be tailored. Well, well, it could. And I think the, the only downfall was if the singer forgot the words or something <laughs> like that, because there were times when we would have to stop with and, the one day. <laughs> yeah. With the one day of rehearsal, you know, and, and there were, there were certain performers back then that, uh, could only come to the, you know, concert, you know, and yeah. I, I would say, here's your, here's your lead sheet. And they would go, Oh, it's short. I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's short. We had to cut it down for time. And those, it was a lot of fun. Let me just say it was, it was a lot of fun. I can imagine. Um, so with the Black Tie series, which iteration, uh, Christmas, America, or Broadway, kind of came, came about first? And I guess, does each iteration lend itself to multiple versions? Yes. Um, it would have to be the Christmas review. Uh, but first, the organized uh, the, the the very first organized kind of staged rehearsed multi song review that we produced was in 1990 by former Hoback stage participant and he was also on the board of directors, Andy Powell. It was called Standing Room Only, and I was very fortunate to be a performer in in that particular review, and it was that huge success show that you know everybody came to. Um, <laughs> And uh, it was loaded with super talented folks. And this was one of the very first times that we had people from Birmingham, people from Huntsville, people from Gadsden, all coming to perform in a show. Uh, and so uh, it was staged. Uh, the, the, I, I kind of uh, took the idea of the black suits, black tuxedos, black dresses, and incorporated them into the black tie series from this particular show. Now, I Love Christmas uh, was uh, the thing that started it all for me. As for multiple versions, you know, um, <clears throat> I continued to add Christmas songs just about every time we did this thing, the I Love Christmas series. And um, I directed it for Sneed State back in uh, 96, but here at the whole backstage, we did it in 1990, again in 1998, 2002, and 2007. And every time I would replace a couple of songs, add a couple of songs. Uh, just what was the Christmas? What was the Christmas mood at the time? The last time we did this in 2007, the I Love Christmas, uh, just the straight I Love Christmas, uh, we added the Grinch songs because that was you know the big thing that came out during that time. But the Black Black Tie series, I guess, uh, is the quintessential kind of. Uh, themed review that grew out of those experiences from standing room only and all of the early I love Christmas programs. Yeah. So, so what you mentioned with the Grinch just now <clears throat> kind of demonstrates how, how this show, whether it's black tie Christmas or America yeah. can, you can have different versions, but they can also be tailored, uh, culturally. Exactly. To, you know, time period, mm -hmm. location, even on, you know, depending on what's popular there, what's, what people would come listen to yeah, basically. exactly <laughs> exactly and and the best thing about having a, a review of this type was uh simply um getting feedback from audience members and from 
performers, you know, saying, hey, why don't you add this? Why don't we do this? Right. And and then this uh, in the version of Black Tie Broadway, we've only done that one time. But that was a huge production. That was a that's a massive production. And I've already had, you know, people wanting me to do it again. But this time, let's add some of the new contemporary uh, musicals like from Waitress. And because back in 2015, those shows weren't even out at that time. Right. No. So uh, mentioning feedback from participants and audience me- and audience members, have there, has there been one show more than the others that you've worked with uh, collaborators or like a creative partner or where a particular amount of in- input has come from or um, it, is it just something that's that just pops up in your head and you you, you want to get it organized and like share it? Well, you know this particular version. Um, this particular version has um, of Black Tie Broadway. It, it really should be named Johnny Brewer's favorite Broadway sh- songs of all <laughs> times. And and when I talk to other groups, and I've talked to uh, ladies' books cl- book clubs and Rotary clubs and things like that, uh, and they always ask that question: How did this come around, and how do you get? involvement in it and as I tell everyone you know the concept is a one-man journey but the reality um, the reality is to engage the the community it's also um, uh, to get those that share a love of music ask for the best help from the people uh, that will help me create this vision Um, in the end it's a major collaboration it really is uh, with everyone involved, and the idea might be mine, but by the end of the uh, by the end of the process and getting to the end of the product, it it's everybody that uh, shares in the success. Yeah. Well, that thinking about it being a community project and a and a choir made up of community members or mm-hmm. or past uh, cast members of a show that 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 song may have been in, mm-hmm. you know, it is. A, a huge collaborative effort that once you think about the scale of the project yeah, yeah. Uh, ends up being quite extensive. Um, so thinking about choir sizes and, and how many participants have, have come through the years, what is your ideal? Like if you were going to put together, handpick a choir, everybody was available, everybody could come and you were going to just put a, a choir together to sing, let's say, maybe America, black tie America. Mm-hmm. What's your ideal choir size? And does it change through each iteration? It it does. Now keep in mind that we've only black tie America and black tie, um, Broadway have only had one section, you know, now I've had earlier versions like a black tie, um, uh, America. Uh, I developed something early on called USO and, uh, USO, A Sentimental Journey. And then uh, several years later, I ch- kind of changed that up and I created something called USO and the American Spirit. And it changed from more of the 40s swing music to more of the patriotic music in in the second uh, version of it. And that kind of changed and shifted to a more choral work as in Black Tie America. Now, like in Bl- Black Tie Broadway, it was more um, movement on stage. We had props, we had costumes, uh, um, you know, like when we did um, 
songs from uh, The Sound of Music. You know, we did Do Re Mi, and the, we had the costumes from uh, when I directed Sound of Music in 2008. We had the Surrey when, they, when somebody sang Surrey with the fringe on top. I remember that one. From, yeah. from it was sitting on the side stage, and when it was time, what was who was it? Todd, that yeah, did that, yeah, just rolled it right out there, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and rolled it right back, and sang with the <laughs> the Surrey and rolled it back out. But that was, uh, you know, that was more uh, theatrical, if you want to say, as Black, Black Tie Broadway was, whereas Black Tie America was more choral. It was more we had the risers, and so talking about choir size. I would love the largest choir possible. And for Black Tie Broadway, uh, even though it was, it was a job to move everybody on stage, we had up to 65, 66 people uh, singing. Whereas in Black Tie America, we had almost 75, 80 people singing in that. And, and here's, here's another, uh, another thing to consider. In a sit-down kind of like Black Tie Christmas and Black Tie America, um, the people that did not want to memorize music or and see everybody had to memorize their music in Black Tie Broadway and didn't want to walk out and go into formations like we did in Black Tie Broadway, uh, they were more apt to come and sing in a sit-down choral setting. There were more solos in Black Tie Broadway. There were uh, more choral four-part harmony, sometimes six-part harmony in I Love, uh, in the Black Tie Christmas and in Black Tie America. So, you know, what's the, what's the number? Uh, you know. As in, many as can fit on stage. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, when we rehearse, we're sitting in a room right now where we had, uh, you know, uh, 70 people at one time yeah. singing. And we had to literally put them outside in the lobby you know, we had chairs set up around, and that's a great feeling, but it's also a great sound. Uh, it is, yeah. To have that many people, and plus, uh, I'm sure our our listeners can hear the echo that we're... It, it's possible. We'll find out when we play it back. <laughs> yeah. Mike can hear the echo. Just just think, sit, sitting in this room with, uh, you know, 70 people singing four-part harmony. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it, it gets a little echo. Uh, but nonetheless... Uh, uh, Black Tie Christmas and Black Tie America are more structured for choral ensemble and not sh the show choir. Um, our listeners, I'm sure, uh, have folks or have participated in the show choir, uh, you know, series uh, in high school. And, um, and when I say show choir, you know, I mean stage movement, props, and choreography. So as far as the ideal choir size, it'll, it'll always vary, you know, from... Uh, 75 to 100 and in the our upcoming production uh, I think it'll get past Sunday at the board meeting we're doing black tie Christmas again and this will be our third time to do black tie Christmas and so I'm looking for a hundred singers so for reference sake we're recording this in May of 2022 so hopefully on the schedule will be black tie Christmas for December 2022 now would you do a show, say Broadway, would mm -hmm. you do Black Tie Broadway with a small ensemble or would you wait until you could, you could have the big choir? Um, because that, that show sounded like it would lend itself 
to a smaller ensemble just because of the, the nature of the songs and how they're written for an ensemble cast on Broadway, obviously. So right. not all of them have access to 100 people. If you had like 20, would you do that show or would you want to just have within a large group, a group of 20 people do a song or two in that show or a group of eight people? Well, I think in one of your questions to me earlier, just for me to preview your questions, um, that'll kind of explain um, why I do some of the things I do. Um, what could I, could we do Black Tie Broadway with a smaller ensemble? Yes, but we would have to alter the show um, that would kind of take out the participants of like the young people um, because, um, you know, we can do up to like 20 seconds of a song with, without getting in any kind of infringement. On oh, it. I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so it, it kind of lends itself in a choral sense for like black tie Broadway to be big and boisterous, you know, and, and just in a large ensemble and hitting that sound, um, uh, to the audience and let him go, Whoa, you know, this is a big yeah. sound Yeah. where I think, if we did it with a smaller ensemble, let's say 20 people, they have to be mighty powerful singers. I mean, just mm. mighty powerful singers to produce the same effect. And the length of the show and the difficulty of some of the music mm -hmm. would be a lot on a small group mm -hmm. to put together, honestly, and perform right. over and over. Right. Because I, I, I'll just be honest here in the podcast that there were some singers that... Uh, Soprano, alto, tenor, bass just equaled unison for them, you know, singing the, and singing the melody. That was it. Uh, and they, they did a good job singing the melody, not bass part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so thinking about this project, what comes to my mind is what you just mentioned, uh, length, uh, length of a clip before you get into any kind of infringement. Mm -hmm. What are some of the legal hurdles in putting together different shows like this I'm, i'd imagine a lot of the christmas music is open or, or public domain well and that's just a guess but i'm some. thinking a lot has has licenses attached and yes yes um the, you know the legal hurdles in putting a show like this together uh, are kind of tricky you know of course copyright infringement is a big concern and i have music that's published and uh, copyrighted arrangements uh, out there myself, and I respect the creative and the intellectual property of others, and you have to you have to do that. Now, the whole backstage is a member of ASCAP and BMI, and um, and it, we pay a yearly fee uh, to use published music for public performance, and that's generally intermission music that we play and pre-show music that we play. Um, but as with the Black Tie series, we use mostly published choral uh, works that has performance royalties kind of built in. Uh, we don't uh, change a lot of it. Uh, we can do certain sections in certain choral works, pull it out, do it by itself. But, um, but for that, that's why you'll see me using a lot of choral pieces, you know, like high school choral pieces that we can adapt for, you know, big adult choir. Um, I've added some like 
non-print music. And, and just to kind of give you an example, um, I've, I've gone to every link to get permission uh, for royalties. For example, uh, in Black Tie America, we used a song uh, to open the review from Mannheim Steamroller uh, called The American Spirit. And Greg Leach, I don't know if you remember, in Black Tie America, he did the narration. But I had to spend months uh, contacting the publisher and finally found an email address for uh, Chip Davis, who is the arranger of the background music under that narration. And um, I explained what we were doing, and he gave us permission to use his arrangement. That's great. Because, you know, it, it... the legal ramifications of it could be very difficult. Uh, and a lot of times it is, well, I, I say it's as simple, but it, you went through quite a bit to get that contact. But mm-hmm. at, after you had it, reaching out right. was, you know, he was re- responsive to that. So that's, it, it, that's He good. was, he was. And he was um, very responsive to the community theater uh, spirit of it all, you know? Yeah, he, yeah. He, you know, in Black Tie Broadway... I wanted to use a song and needed the track to uh, a printed choral, an out-of-print choral arrangement called the Oz Wiz Medley. And uh, I found the website of the famed uh, choral arranger Kirby Shaw. You might have heard of Kirby Shaw. And he quickly gave me a written okay to use this, and he sent me the lost accompaniment track for the song. (laughs) Just on his own, no charge or anything like that. Now, I have had uh, circumstances where we've had to pay $100 or maybe two or $300 to, to be able to have the rights for a particular song. But with Kirby Shaw, he said, yeah, I'd love to help you out. And it's kind of interesting because our families have exchanged Christmas cards every year since then. <laughs> uh, and so, yes, it's important to me to make sure that we honor all copyright arrangements. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's part of that mutual respect. Like you mentioned, you have music that is is out there. Mm-hmm. Somebody could potentially use, mm-hmm. and so you would appreciate yep. the contact and, yep. and asking permission or offering to to pay a, a fee or whatever. Right, right, and 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 a lot of this comes like with my music. It's arrangement for primarily. Um, uh, Brass Quintet, and it's Christmas Brass Quintet, because a long time ago I had something called the Marshall County Brass Quintet, and I wrote all these arrangements and had them published, uh, and it's easy to copy music and stuff like that without having to pay for it, and I know that, and um, so, you know, when I get a royalty check for a couple of dollars... (laughs) It makes you feel good. It anyway. makes me feel good. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm not I'm not making a lot of money on these arrangements. I can imagine the brewers on vacation, some faraway land, some faraway state, and you decide to go to a brass Christmas concert of yeah. a local ensemble, and you sitting there in the audience thinking, hmm, that, "That does sound familiar. I've heard that before." Yeah. What yeah. Are, What are the odds? Yeah. Well, it, yeah. It, it, I'm sure it, it happens. It has happened, that's for sure. Okay. So, talking about legal hurdles and organizational challenges, w- does each one of these shows face the same organizational challenges, such as, like, if you were building sets, uh, getting costumes together, we talked about song rights, getting participants, mm-hmm. um, d- d- does one show have more 
interest than another initially before you get rolling? Um, or are people kind of familiar with them in this area now where they kind of know what it involves and what's coming? Um, I think about rehearsal time, maybe like if you're doing a Broadway show and getting into some of that, those arrangements, do you require more rehearsal time than say a Christmas show where everybody shows up knowing, (laughs) knowing the music? Well, you just have to make sure everybody's on the same page, so to speak. Well, it's kind of interesting that you would say that again, it's going to depend on the concept of the project. Like black tie Broadway was more show choir focused and solo intensive where black tie Christmas is more choral and there's just few scattered solos uh, throughout. Uh, Black Tie Broadway required more staging and props and sets and Black Tie Christmas and Black Tie America uh, had limited backdrops. I think we just had one for the Christmas show. We didn't have any for Black Tie America because we used projections. And uh, I created a lot of those projections to fit the music and it was a lot of fun for me. Uh, and um, also Black Tie America and Black Tie Christmas use more lighting uh, with singers on platforms than just a bare stage. Yeah, so that, that um, well, real time, that thought just flew right out of my head. I don't know where I was going with that. So, <laughs> Well, well it, to, I guess to fur- further kind of answer your, your question, uh, each show is ultimately different you know the christmas show doesn't have um they had one backdrop like i said and it used the colors on the back white uh cyclorama uh and it black tie america had the projections in it and the you know singing of the national anthem and things like that where uh, black tie broadway was more stage more staged um uh, movement on the stage and I, I loved black tie broadway because there were 65 people to move on stage in different formations mm-hmm. and it was so so much fun to watch everybody to get it i think too the challenge on black tie broadway was the fact that everybody had to memorize the music everybody had to memorize because uh, of the movement right because yeah. of the movement and you didn't want to have a choral book in your hand uh going you know from one set to another and I think it would have, um, when I say use the word flatten, the experience of the audience uh, going into that. Whereas they know what to expect in a black tie Christmas, you mm-hmm. know, it's a sit down. But you mentioned something earlier, too, that um, there are more people that will most likely come and, and participate in a sit down version um, of black black tie America and black tie Christmas, just simply because they might be a little older, have a little more difficult time, but also um, it will require less rehearsal uh, for a sit down because you've got the music right there in front of you. Yeah, true. So, has anyone ever come to you and asked for a black tie performance in their? in their venue instead of us doing it here at the whole backstage or like a church or a school mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, name your, name your venue. Um, or have you thought about marketing the show to do as may, maybe an outreach? I don't know that that's quite the right word, but to, to maybe travel a little bit and, and have it in different areas. Well, um, I was actually asked to bring black tie Broadway to Huntsville 
after we did it, but it was a year after that, and uh, a year after we performed this thing, and it would have been a huge undertaking to you know get all the props, all the sets, all the <laughs> the Surrey, uh, and even to get the same singers to participate because a lot of those a lot of folks in black tie Broadway were seniors at our various schools, you know, in the choirs. And they were off at college, you know, a year, you know, a year later. Um, I, um, I thought about taking a smaller version, but decided just against it, just because, you know, you had mentioned, you know, what about a small ensemble for that? Uh, it would have just, I think, been a lot more, in just in my personal opinion, a lot more effort to try to scale it down than anything. Um, I was asked to consider performing Black Tie America at the, uh, it wasn't open at the time, but at the Sand Mountain Park Amphitheater for a patriotic celebration uh, in July, uh, do a concert at the amphitheater. And I think that would be a great partnership. Um, the Fabulous 50s, I will have to say, way, way back when, the Fabulous 50s was asked to perform at the Hangout in Gulf Shores, uh, but it was kind of like a, a weird time. It was like on a Thursday afternoon, and we wouldn't get paid or anything like that, but we were, we were invited. One of the participants' sister was uh, the, the venue manager down there. And um, anyway, so we were asked to do that, but we had too many conflicts. And we've performed bits and pieces of things like for Rotary Clubs and the Cipitan Clubs and local clubs in Marshall and DeKalb and in Blount County. And back in the day, they don't have it anymore. The Freedom Festival at Albertville, we used to be uh, highly involved uh, doing bits and pieces of shows uh, in Albertville. So have I ever considered uh, marketing? The, the problem with a review like that is the royalties fall on the uh, venue. And so like if we, like I took uh, Fabulous 50s and did Fabulous 50s at Sneed when I was the director of theater at Sneed and also I love Christmas at uh, Sneed. Uh, the good thing about Sneed is they still, they had their own ASCAP rights and own BMI rights. And they purchased, or the college or the theater department purchased the music for all of those. Um, and so it was my show, you know, my development of the show, I Love Christmas and Fabulous 50s, my concept, but the royalties and the legal ramifications was part of Sneed. It wasn't part of the whole backstage. Okay, so I, I remember also... Um some summer celebration that happens in Aniana. Mm -hmm. Did did the fifties show travel down there to do a promo? Uh, I think mm -hmm. I went with the sixties. You, you went with the sixties. You're right, and and uh, yes, but it doesn't fall on the venue that's asking the whole backstage. Okay, it falls if if it's primarily the venue that is um, performing. That's where the royalties and the the rights come gotcha. come into play. That's all good information because if like it, it, it this wouldn't happen because I'm not that uh, detail oriented and organized and proactive, honestly. But if someone 
were to write a show and just say, hey, I want to perform this show. It's a whole lot more that you got to pay attention to or you could end up in trouble. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And you look, the, uh, the uh, U.S. copyright uh, laws, especially for music, are, are just harsh yeah. and harsh. Just, you know, those penalties are hard and harsh. And, you know, and I'm, uh, that when I mentioned something about the 22nd rule, actually, I think it's like 47 seconds or something like that. You, you can play a clip of something on air publicly, but if you exceed that time limit, you, you could end up paying a big fine. Um, you know, it's become a, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it could be a legal issue. If somebody wanted to to make it one, I guess. right? The right. right if the right person wanted to follow right. through with that. Uh, so, how does black tie? You mentioned the fifties. Mm-hmm. How does black tie relate to other projects that you've that you've worked on, or has it come out of some of those to an extent? Like you were talking about the mm-hmm. the I love Christmas mm-hmm. shows and and different things that kind of led to some of the black tie iterations. Right. Well, the most popular and most performed of the reviews that I've created has been the fabulous fifties and you were in the last fabulous yeah. 15. I've, I've just kind of retired that, uh, <laughs> because we, I mean, we've, we've performed it multiple times, um, in, in its history. And I, I just love the music, you know, it's a fun music. And, uh, when my son was, um, and you know, John Everett, when he was younger, like 10, you know, He'd never heard 50s music. And, and w- as he grew up, he became involved and was a singer, a performer, and dancer in the 50s shows that we did. Um, and it's kind of interesting. He fell in love with that music. So did a lot of other young people, his generation. So it's just a great, it's just a great uh, way to introduce and keep it going. Uh, the program evolved from a small group back in... Um, uh, 1990, I think, to over 30 in the cast the last time we did it. And again, you were involved in that. Uh, it's always been a sellout show. You know, we had it was sold out, you know, a couple of days before we yeah. even opened. And we've had friendships with folks all over Marshall County, including my friend Robert Cobb, uh, who loaned us vintage cars from the 50s to showcase on stage. You know, we had that. 1957 Chevy and we had the 1959 uh, Corvette convertible and it was just great but here's kind of the interesting fallout from the 19 or the fabulous 50s folks like uh, Tim Hayes and David Chupp they were inspired to create their own uh, musicals uh, coming out of that you you mentioned the 60s uh, a few minutes ago and the 70s show that Tim and David uh, created uh, their stories were more or their mu- musical reviews if you want to call them had more storyline to them and certain songs implanted in them and uh, to to advance the storyline whereas the review is just strictly music sometimes you know uh, somebody said oh I just walk out on stage and sing well yeah that's true but a lot of times that's all people want you could put it that way yeah you could put <laughs> it that way uh, but uh, Tim Hayes and David Chupp they they've um, uh, they they were inspired to to create their own 
uh, reviews, and that's great, and I, I'm just so happy. And the, the 70s review and the 60s review here have been just really popular uh, for that. Um, I know David Chupp has uh, created um, uh, a Christmas story every year uh, for his um, charitable organization, Room in the Inn. Yeah, and I participated in one of those a few years ago, and it, it's it's a really neat opportunity to to be a performer in one of those shows. But it's you know they they do a lot of good work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and I'm I'm you know uh, I'm just proud of uh, David and and Tim, and I know they're using their creative um you know juices to uh yeah to work for the community the love in the 60s was the first show that my wife Kristen, and i did together here Mm -hmm. at the at the theater not the not either of our first shows but right our first show together um and uh so that was that was a good memory for us that whole that whole show i believe i was a background dancer for that one (laughs) As ill-advised a, a, a choice as that may have been. Yeah. Was, yeah. Well, I know Kristen, she was involved in USO and the American Spirit. Yes. She and her sister, uh, Sam, they were uh, dancers and performers in, in, in that show uh, before I think she had your last name. <laughs> True. I remember. I didn't get to see that show, but um, th- there's a lot. Everybody involved has very fond memories of doing that show or seeing that show it means a lot to mm-hmm. a lot of people and I, I think even even the broadway show you know it, uh, black tie america has has that sense of of maybe community more for people who come and see it and experience the music together and can relate it to things that they see in their community or in their friend groups or whatever mm-hmm. and um kind of filter that music culturally for the time mm-hmm. Uh, but even you know the Broadway show too; those shows affect people, and the stories within the shows, and the the shows that the music that we do, just the excerpts, that the songs, the shows that they represent, mean something to to a lot of people, and it's it's a different something to everybody. It, it could right. be a deep something. It could be, you know, I just enjoyed watching the show one yeah. time, yeah. and and the music hit me. Um, well, we we ended Black Tie Broadway with Seasons of Love from Rent, and uh, before the you know, and I had I don't know if you remember everybody was in the aisles yeah. on stage up in the uh, mezzanine, and all sixty six uh, performers uh, they had certain spots, and the music the voices just filled the auditorium, and by the time they I mean hit the last eight counts of music and holding that note, people were already standing up yeah. and there were people behind me at the sound table behind that audience members that were crying and yeah. stuff because uh, the music does resonate, you know, and, and it will resonate for different shows with different songs, you know, the, that kind of thing. So it is, it is a powerful tool. Uh, I'm directing our summer musical, uh, Gods and Dolls, which opens june 17th and runs through the 26th you can call for tickets 256-582-7469 or go to the wbs website www.wholebackstage.com and go to ticks and uh purchase your tickets now but we were now talk- i have to get this out before the show opens <laughs> no you don't no you don't uh but here's the thing um 
we were talking about uh, last night during our rehearsal for Guys and Dolls. We were talking about this element. I used to teach theater um, at Sneed. And my, I would tell my students there's something called suspension of disbelief. And that suspension of disbelief is just simply uh, being taken away in your thoughts and your mind from life's troubles and uh, just being uh, put somewhere else. You know, that occurs when we watch a really good movie or uh, listen to a really good concert or we attend a play. You know, we, we're taken away. And I think that the music that we had uh, and we performed in Black Tie Broadway had those qualities. It was something for everybody. Right, yeah. Even the, even the teens, you know, um, they, they really loved that participation. So the stories that uh, are that are woven, you know, throughout all the different performances and audiences that come in and out, means something to people. And and what you just said about uh, suspension of disbelief, being in several shows here at this theater, we always do a cast circle before the show to uh, just come together. Mm-hmm. And, and get ready to, to do what we've rehearsed. And part of that may be um, people sharing their experiences in rehearsal or why they're here at the theater or what brought them here or their appreciation for the, a new relationship maybe. But what is a common, uh, a common topic that always comes up is, you know, that we come together to either bring the audience something funny, something meaningful, uh, something musical to kind of allow them to step away from stress, mm-hmm. to step away from things in life that, that are hard to deal with sometimes. Right. And just give them an opportunity in this building to just be and to enjoy mm-hmm. just sitting and watching something that is interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, Creative, whether it's something meaningful. beautiful or, or, you know, funny or whatever, you, you're in that room and the lights are focusing your attention on the stage and that's mm-hmm. all that matters for that time period. Right. And as a performer, you know, people ask, how, how long have you been involved with the whole backstage? 48 years. 48 years. So people ask how, like what? <laughs> why how how have you been here this long and why does it still mean something to you and and i would i don't want to speak for you but if putting my own experience into that question it means something to me to bring that to people mm-hmm. to to be part of the production <clears throat> that allows them that time mm-hmm. to to laugh to cry maybe to enjoy a presentation that we're that that we've worked on that we're giving them that is basically you know just a, an offering that hopefully is well received and i agree i agree with that but i think too in addition to that that's mighty powerful i think for a lot of us here at the whole backstage and again I, i'm not speaking for you but i i, I understand that um, you might have some some uh, understanding of what I'm about to say for, for a lot of us, this has been a safe haven for us, uh, um, a place where we come 
and we had instant friends and we had instant family. Um, no one judged uh, each other uh, by what clothes they wore or what hairstyle they had, you know, in the, that particular, uh, you know, time period, especially the eighties. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, um, nonetheless, this has been a safe haven for a lot of us here at the whole backstage. Yeah. And I know that's part of the, uh, inception of its founding. Yes. Absolutely. Was, was to, uh, give, give people who maybe didn't have a place to go, mm-hmm. a, a place to go. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was Dot Moore, the founder of the founding mother, as our friend Andy Hunter uh, uh, termed. Uh, Dot was so inspiring and so inspirational that um, it kind of created itself and out of sad circumstances, too, back in 1968, there were some deaths uh, that occurred one summer of some teen teenagers during that time. And these were teenagers that attended Marshall County High School at the time. And Dot knew them, and uh, I think one or two of them were in her humanities class at Marshall County High School at the time. And the city uh, and city leaders... Uh, uh, Porter Harvey from the Advertiser Gleam and Dot all got together to create what was called the Teen Club at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was just a place for teens to go, to stay out of trouble, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, find a home, find a family. And it eventually, several years later, evolved into the whole backstage evolved into the whole backstage simply because then grown-ups, as Dot always said, grown-ups wanted to start playing uh, like and having fun and enjoy and creating just like the teens did. And so it became the whole backstage. And from that point on, uh, you know, we've had youth and uh, adults alike just participating in all the plays, whether it's backstage, on stage, or even out in the audience. Yeah. And so we, we say the whole backstage is North Alabama's oldest continuously operating community theater. That is true. Are all those caveats necessary? Is it Alabama's oldest? Or is it Al- North Alabama's oldest community theater, period? or Well, you have to put in the, the word continuous because out of... 50 years of being in existence as a community theater, the whole backstage. Um, There are other theaters that were started way before, but in their history, uh, they had breaks where they were disbanded or they didn't perform for two or three, four years. Uh, They came back as another group. Um, So as far as a community arts organization and a community theater organization, you know, people certainly have, um, can, they certainly have a history, but for us, it's, um, it's continuous. And that's kind of difficult for other theater groups to say. Um, uh, even in Birmingham, you know, there, there are theaters that are probably longer in existence, but have never had a continuous season. Mm-hmm. And I read about a few um, that... When I was trying to research that question, uh, I read about a few who, you know, there was a theater, maybe it's 
150 years old, but it was a movie theater for a little while mm-hmm. or um, maybe a, a storefront for, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years here and there, whatever. Right. And, and it's been restored to a theater, mm-hmm. which was its original purpose. But in the meantime, it's been several different things. Right. Um, and I don't mean to get into another episode. Yeah. I, I kind of yeah. want that to be a whole episode on its own Absolutely. where we talk about the history of this theater, mm-hmm. its inception, it's it's different, it, it, you know, it's growth pattern, right? Um, and where we are now, and where we hope to be. Well, you you can you can take the history of the whole backstage, and let me just kind of segue back into black tie. You know, black tie uh, was part of the you know um, the early nineteen eighties. You know, uh, musical review of. 1980, 1982, 83, 89. And then it moved into Standing Room Only. And then it moved into, you know, I Love Christmas. And then it moved into, you know, uh, USO. And then it moved into Fabulous 50s. And, you know, it's evolved. All of those reviews that that I've created have been kind of like the whole backstage. They've evolved into, uh, I, I think, and, uh, you know, something that's meaningful, something that's important. Uh, Black tie, uh, Broadway. I think during circle, you know, we had to have double circles in, in black tie Broadway. Because, yeah. You know, the young people were in the inner circle and uh, the older crew was... Did we do concentric or just a big infinity symbol? <laughs> Not an infinity symbol. <laughs> yeah, it was just concentric, I guess. Uh, but, you know, at, during those, uh, those circles that you were talking about, that the whole backstage... Well, let me just say this started and now just about every community theater in our area will do a circle. Uh, and they didn't do a circle. That was uh, a dot more thing, dot more thing. Absolutely. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, there were a lot of people emotional during those circles. You know, yes. what did this mean to me and being a part of this and being accepted? So just like the whole backstage, uh, you know, the black tie series certainly evolved uh, I think into something that was meaningful and important to people. Yeah. And it, that's the thing about, you know, when a cast comes together in that circle, it may happen the first night, it may happen the last night or every night, but, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it does, it's amazing to see the connection that people have to performing a show or just be spending time with, with people. Exactly. You know, some people don't have that. They, it's, it's kind of a lonely yeah. time and it has been the last couple of years for sure yeah oh yeah but absolutely uh, to be able to come together and and share a, an experience of putting on a show with a cast mm-hmm. or to be able to share that show with an audience means something whether you're on the stage or, or in in the audience for sure absolutely so i think we've covered quite a bit about the black tie series and i really appreciate you talking about it because it's 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 a series that i know you've worked <laughs> hesitate to even fathom a guess of how many hours has gone into the different aspects of these shows but thank you for bringing them to the community i mean really it's we we've scratched the surface about how much it each each show has meant to an audience member or Mm -hmm. or even a group of singers you know it's a labor of love i i for me you know that's a creative outlet for me and i love conducting uh, and uh, the the choral pieces are, are um, just fascinating to watch people's faces as I conduct and and see the emotion that the performers get out of it. Yeah. 
uh, not only the audience, but the performers. And so uh, thank you. You're, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we hope to have many more episodes coming. Uh, we've got tons of ideas of how to do that. What what you can expect is uh, interviews such as this, um, vocal performances, uh, plays, radio plays, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some dramatic readings like we've had in the Black Box Theater here exactly. at the whole backstage. Um, really excited about uh, 13 Days of Halloween prospects. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hope, hope to have a series coming out then. And obviously, any show that we produce that uh, we can legally record um i'm hoping to to maybe use that as as a limited seasonal release or something like that so that would be great yes and didn't let me let me say thank you for taking the initiative to to start this and and uh getting this um technology and getting us out there in a different format that uh we've never experienced before. So thank yeah, you very yeah. much. Well, uh, you know, the things that go on in this building, I want to share with people Yeah, and, and making that available on as many different platforms and in as many different formats as possible. Uh, you know, if, if you're not somebody who likes to come sit in a theater, maybe you play podcasts on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, we just want to, want to give people a chance to interact. So thanks again. Thanks again.